Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you. How are we all doing? At least your smiling faces are are nice to see. Um, There's a trusted real estate saying that goes like this. Location, location, location. And, And that adage seems to imply that the value or the desirability of property and real estate is dependent upon location. But I believe ultimately value is in the eye of the beholder. When, uh, when my parents got married, they settled in San Francisco where my, my father worked. But on the other hand, uh, the rest of my mother's side of the family when they immigrated to the United States settled in the South Bay in San Jose, California. And the reason for that, because housing was much more affordable back then, and also for immigrants, entry-level jobs were more available in farming, in uh, agriculture, the grocery business, and um, canning, and canneries were down there. So growing up on weekends, my family often would drive down to San Jose to go visit my uncles, my aunties, and all of my cousins which there were a lot of them because my mother came from a family of 20 siblings. And that's a story for another day. <laughs> in the 50s and the 60s, San Jose was a very small town in comparison to San Francisco. So forgive my, my canto. Uh, San Francisco was known as Daifal, and San Jose was known as Saifal, which translated means Big town and little town, referring to San Jose, respectively. So before Silicon Valley came into existence, no one knew or cared about San Jose. But it wasn't until Burt Bacharach and Hal David composed a song that was released in 1968. Do you know the way to San Jose? And for those of you who are familiar with that song, it was sung by Dionne Warwick. Now, in that song title is a common question many of us have asked. Do you know the way? Do you know the way to the subway station? Do you know the best way to get into a top 10 college? Likewise, in the Bible, people often ask this question. Do you know the way to heaven, to eternal life? And Jesus proclaimed, I am the way. And today is the conclusion of our series titled, This is the way. And we have been going through 1 John where the Apostle John was correcting false teaching that was leading the early church astray. And this was coming out of a religious movement called Gnosticism, which taught a dualism. That as long as my thinking was good, my behavior was no big deal. As long as my spiritual soul was good, the sins of my earthly body, which is by nature evil, did not matter. Jesus did not get you into heaven but some sort of special knowledge did. The biggest heresy John was correcting was the Gnostics' belief that Jesus was not real. And not surprising, this false thinking about Jesus exists today because culture can be louder than God and a larger influence on how we practically live out our faith as Christians. And if not by the world standards, a little voice in our head tells us to do it our way, not God's way. 
So a question for us to consider, do we truly believe that Jesus is real? Can we trust that Jesus' way is best? Otherwise, you can see how easy it is to be like the Gnostics and live in a manner that is not Christ-like, but more carnal and selfish. Our hope here at CLC is for us to be transformed people that truly know our Heavenly Father. And transformation is the first step to true change. But we all know change is hard. To be changed people takes discipline, practice, encouragement, commitment, and coaching. Yet the bottom line proof of being a follower of Jesus is ultimately just that, being transformed people. More specific, to become more like Jesus. And this won't be easy. We can't do this on our own, and we can only do this with God's help. To avoid this kind of spiritual drifting, ever so often we do have to self-reflect and make mid-course adjustments so we don't fall into this bifurcated, divided kind of thinking and self-centered lifestyle, which can be hard if we are successful, comfortable, and have a privileged life. And I know, personally, this is something I struggle with. It's a problem in my own life. We started off our series learning that Jesus is truth. Then we learned he is light. And last week, love. Today, John tells us that Jesus is life. Eternal life, to be exact. I said change is hard. And honestly, we cannot change on our own without God's help. For that reason, he helps us be transformed people by giving us the gift of eternal life. So how does that help, having eternal life? Well, if we are bonded with Jesus, who is eternal life, we are freed from this world's bonds that hinder us from doing God's will. And what is God's will? To be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And before we continue, uh, let me pray for us so that we can prepare to hear the word of God. Heavenly Father, you are the God of the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to you except through your son, Jesus. Help us to see, hear, know what you want us to experience. Transform us through your word that never returns void. Show us a way to wholeness and vitality of life in Christ. Have your way with us now. Mold us, shape us to be more like Jesus each and every day. May the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. I pray this in the most precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, and I'm sure it's going to be projected behind me, let's turn to 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to begin with verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm going to stop right there. One verse, because I've been reading this verse over and over again for the last few weeks as I was preparing for this message. This one verse spoke volumes to me, like John knew me and was speaking directly to me. Apparently, there's tremendous power in believing in the name of Jesus. Power to overcome everything in this world. It's kind of like superhero power. But here's reality. The day we are born and enter into this world, 
we are subjected to the strain of living up to a whole bunch of expectations. Our culture, our parents, our siblings, our friends, our teachers, let alone our own expectations for our own lives. And life, as it goes on, picks up more expectations, financial, professional responsibilities, expectations of for being a husband, a father, a good citizen, and even being a Christian, and for me, a pastor. The list keeps on growing. It amazes, amazes me that more of us don't suffer from anxiety and depression, or do we? You can understand why I often say my life dream is to sit on a beach, soak in the rays, and listen to the ocean waves crash, to just be a beach bum. Who doesn't want to overcome the world with all of its burdens and all of its troubles? And John here in verse 5 tells us the way. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Believing Jesus is the Son of God gives life that overcomes the world. And this is consistent with what John wrote in John 10, verse 10. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief here that Jesus is referring to is the devil, who God has allowed to have authority in this world for now. And the devil, Satan, only destroys and kills. But Jesus, in contrast, comes to give us life, life to the fullest. To overcome the world and his troubles, Jesus gives us peace, comfort, and more joy. That is what uh, life in the fullest means. So question, having Jesus in your life, do you feel more peace, comfort, and joy? And if not, why not? Let's continue in First John verse in chapter 5, with verse 11. <clears throat> and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, have, may know that you have eternal life. John's point here is this. The assurance of eternal life in Jesus frees us to live with a mindset that death is not that bad. Kind of a paradox. John is telling us that we have life if we have Jesus. And verse 12 continues, goes even further. If you do not have Jesus in your life, all you have is death. But if you have Jesus, you have life, eternal life, which overcomes earthly death. Recently, I asked the staff in our study of this passage during our, our morning devotional on Tuesday mornings uh, if they had a fear of dying. To their credit, everyone said they did not. They, didn't, they weren't afraid of dying. Well, in my research, I found that the fear of dying begins in um, very early childhood. As little as two, three-year-olds begin to understand this concept of dying and their own death. 
and becomes more acute in the teen years. As one matures emotionally, this anxiety diminishes, but returns in the elderly who are now closer to the reality of death. So this concept of death preoccupies a lot of our mindsets. For us to say we have no fear of death is really easy to do in the safety of our homes, sitting in front of our monitor screen, zooming. Would we have a different answer in the midst of a near-death experience? Do you remember a time you almost died? I have plenty of times, and I've shared this story before, but I believe I have a photo. That's a photo of my forearm. There's a scar there, about three inches long, and it is a constant reminder of one of my near-death experiences. Back in college, I um, rode motorcycles, and as an inexperienced rider, I got into an accident when my bike crashed, clipping the sidewalk. And as I was thrown off my bike, I was flying through the air, and I thought I was going to die. I was riding up in Sacramento, and it was really hot, and I was just wearing a very thin T-shirt. I didn't have any gloves on. I had just remembered to put on my helmet. In that moment of panic, I remembered my tumbling skills. So as I was flying and when I landed, unfortunately, my hands landed first. And then I rolled on my side onto my back. And, that, and, and then I, I, when I came to, when the shock kind of uh, wore off, I looked at my hands. And the skin off of my hands was torn off. It was raw. And the next thing I knew, I was bleeding profusely from my left arm. And when I looked over, my arm was split wide open. And I think I could have saw the bone. And, and I realized I was in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I almost fainted when I saw my forearm like that. Long story short, I was taken to the hospital, I was sewed up and released. That near-death experience made me realize there is a God out there that loved me and had a plan for me, because God was not ready to let me die. And there's a side note, while I was in the emergency room, there's this guy next to me who was screaming and yelling, and then I found out he was in a motorcycle accident. Although he went right through the rear window sh windshield the car that he crashed into, and he was covered with glass all over his body. You all know that I became a dentist, enjoyed practicing for almost 40 years. And for a dentist, our hands are very vital. Can't practice without functional hands. And after my accident, my uh, doctor said I was very fortunate because if you know anything about anatomy, when this... Er injury occurred around the elbow, there is a lot of nerves. There's one in particular, which is the ulnar nerve, that if my scar or my injury was just a little bit over, it could have been severed. And if you sever the ulnar nerve, you lose the use of your hand and your fingers. Not good for a dentist to be. For sure, 
I had God's protection that day. And, and, and you know, being young, God had to remind me of this truth again six years later. When I was uh, near the end of my fourth year of dental school, I suffered a clinical setback that would essentially delay my licensing for another year. So tired, depressed, ashamed, feeling like the world was overcoming me, I felt like dying, ending it all. In that moment of desperation, I remember God, and I prayed for Jesus to save me. And shortly after saying that prayer, a couple doing door-to-door evangelism rang my doorbell. They asked if I wanted to know Jesus and gave me a Bible with this verse written on the cover. Come to me, all of you who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I give you rest. And that's Matthew 11, verse 28. As soon as I read that verse, the gloom and doom I was feeling was lifted. God knew again what I needed what I needed to hear at that very moment. I committed my life to Jesus and promised to do whatever he asked of me. The assurance of eternal life in Jesus frees us to live with a mindset that death is not that bad. When we have Jesus, death lets us be with God in heaven. And that's supposed to be good, right? Not bad. Location, location, location. So a question for all of us to think about. Do you believe heaven is a better location than here on earth? Because honestly, I believe many of us, sometimes myself included, prefer to live here on earth than in heaven. The gift of eternal life is not just something we unwrap when we die, but it's intended to be used here and now. When we are freed from the fear of death, we can then focus better on who God wants us to be. We can have no fear to risk everything, including our own lives, to serve God in this world. Pastor Ben, um, a few weeks ago, I think it was in our last series, showed this great quote from C.S. Lewis. Christians who do the most for this present world are those who think most of the next. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. It's a question for all of us to think about. What location are you aiming for? When you get up in the morning, do you think about going to heaven? Or are you thinking about improving your earthly life? Earlier, I said transformation is a lifelong priceless. Doesn't happen automatically, takes work. Having the assurance of eternal life should give us the power to be freed from the bonds of this world that hold us back from doing God's will. And what is God's will? I say it again to be transformed people. That is why He gave us Jesus and the gift of eternal life. Knowing we have eternal life helps us be transformed people. And we see this in verses 13 to 21 in this final chapter, chapter 5 of 1 John. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
In these subsequent closing verses of 1 John, John gives examples that shows we have eternal life and are changed people for Jesus. Quickly listing them, the first being God hears us and we have answered prayer. Verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. Like that day, I asked for Jesus to save me. Next, John says we have forgiveness of sin. Verse 16, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. When we pray on behalf of others, their sin will be forgiven by God. That's the power that transformed people can unleash. Next is deliverance from sin and evil. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Believe it or not, we live in a spiritual world where there are angels and demons. And Satan is real. He is the Lord of evil. Here, John says, Jesus, the one born of God, protects his children from evil and the evil one. Have you ever gotten a prompting from God to uh, contact someone out of the blue? I have. With a friend I've known since junior high. We went to the same high school, college. I even treated him once early in my dental practice. But I um, subsequently lost contact with him. I lost touch for over maybe 20 years. And that's where social media comes into play. Uh, His profile popped up on on my feed. So on a whim and a nudge from God, I sent a a friend request with a short short message to reconnect. And, And soon after, my friend responded, and he said he was surprised to hear from me, but was glad I reached out. He told me he was going through some very difficult challenges, and God had sent me a friend and a pastor out of the blue at a time of his great need. Uh, At this time, my friend, who is now a physician, struggled with anger and self-doubt all his life even as a Christian right after college, felt that God always seemed to forget him. Until God over and over again showed up in a big way for him. My friend uh, went to medical school in the Philippines. And his training included working in both modern city hospitals and also in the most remote, under-equipped clinics in very poor rural villages. In the countryside in that time, uh, under the Marcos regime, the government soldiers were often fighting rebels. And one day near his clinic, the soldiers were suddenly ambushed by rebel guerrillas. My friend wrote these words to me. 
We could see gorillas as young as teens emerging from the trees. They walked among the dead and wounded. And perhaps not wanting to waste precious ammunition, the young rebels began hacking or clubbing to death any soldier still left alive. I was completely shocked at the mindless cruelty that was possible at such a young age. We had no place to hide. Our nearby clinic was the only building in the area, and all we could do was lie down till the shooting stopped. The gorillas piled into a truck and drove towards our clinic. We, we tried to remain calm, but feared for our lives as we were witnesses to the terrible carnage, witnesses, at least in a government's perspective, to a major crime. When the truck stopped in front of us, I recognized a few of the young teen rebels as our patients from the past few days. We prepared to accept our fate, knowing we most likely will be killed. When faced with death, I thought about my parents, my friends, and then said a prayer to God, wrote a short note, and placed it with my ID in a lanyard around my neck, so at least someone could identify my remains if they ever found it. And I prepared to die. But to our surprise, the rebels instead raised their guns high in the air and shouted, long live the revolution, saluted us, and drove off. My friend concludes with his testimony of God protecting his children from evil with these words. I just know that in the truly dark periods of my life, Christ was there and he pulled me through. Thank goodness for his grace. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. John closes with this final last proof of having eternal life. That's the avoidance of idols. Verse 20 says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true by being in, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Verse 21, Their children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, when you read that, final verse, verse 21. This is the final verse of 1 John in chapter 5. It's kind of weird. It's a kind of weird ending. You would think that John would, off like other letters that many of the apostles wrote, would say a blessing or a prayer or some greeting to some lost, long lost friend. But here, John says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Well, verse 21 reminds me of the old TV show, Hill Street Blues. I don't know any of you are that old out there, but do you remember that show, Hill Street Blues? Well, there was a memorable catchphrase at the end of the morning roll call in that show. The character, Sergeant Phil Esterhaus, would dismiss the police officers by saying, let's be careful out there. Like what John is telling the church in verse 21, hey, be careful out there. 
there's idols. If we are true followers of Jesus, we would avoid idols because the two cannot mix, like oil and water. So if you truly have Jesus, you can avoid idols. If you do have idols, you repel Jesus. John begins 1 John with eternal life. 1 John 1, verses 1 to 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And as he opens, he also closes. And John ends his letter also about eternal life. Seems like eternal life is a big deal. A couple weeks ago, and I see Pastor Andrew out there. Pastor Andrew came and he shared. And in our relationship, we have fun with each other. And he jokingly said, I'm old. That's okay, because he's always a young punk in my mind. (laughs) I'm good with that. I mean, my own kids call me ancient, so old's not that bad. The days ahead of me are much shorter now than the days behind me. But when I put on that mindset that I have an eternity with God still, I'm still a little baby in the eyes of God. Our life here on earth is only a blip on the timeline of God's eternity. And John is reminding us of this truth. And my hope is we will have that same mindset and be free to live our lives for Jesus with no fear of risking everything for God. If we are bonded with Jesus, who is eternal life, we are freed from this world's bonds that hinder us from doing God's will. And the assurance of eternal life in Jesus frees us to live with a mindset that death is not that bad. This week, I invite you to examine your life. Spend time with God and discern, what is God asking me to risk my life for? Because you have the gift of eternal life, and that is a big deal, right? Let's pray. Good Father, thank you for your amazing love that you would give us your one and only Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Help us to be changed, to live life to the fullest in Christ, that the gift of eternal life is to be experienced in the here and now and not just when we physically die. With that eternal mindset, Help us to love others so that they may know we are your disciples. We ask for your blessing so we can bless others. And I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.